0: I'm grateful to be here. Grateful to be here this morning. Those were good things to remind me, Lord, uh, when, uh, when Jason reminded us that we should be washing Jesus's feet, yet he washes our feet. It literally drove me to tears because it's true. He washes our feet. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everything God's doing. I'm grateful to be here. You know, yesterday I got to speak at a, a wake. Uh, no, it was a funeral for a, a friend of mine who passed away. Uh, he was a believer in Christ, so it was joyful uh, for those of us who, who know Jesus, but it was uh, not so joyful for those who were not in a saving relationship with the Lord. And I felt uh, that uh, I had to, to witness. I had to witness to these people at this place. And it's very difficult to witness to people and to tell them the whole truth about who God is at such an event. But I did. I had, I had by the grace of God, I did. And you know what? I, uh, by God's grace, once again, I'm, y- you guys have heard me now enough. I'm not skillful. It's, <laughs> it's 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 got nothing to do with me. But by grace, he he did it. He really did it. he spoke in such a way where the truth of who Jesus is and how much we need him came came out. And uh, I we I hope uh, that that many people remember the seriousness of that. And are impacted unto the point of moving. So, listen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of uh, Psalms, right in the middle, Psalm fifty-one. We're going to read uh, the entire psalm, and we're not going to break it down. But um, it's it it kind of falls in line with the Beatitude of purity. Um, but before we do, we have to pray. And and this is I want to share with you my burden because this is my burden. We have no youth ministry here. I saw those beautiful kids that were sitting over there. We have nothing here. And it breaks my heart. Because you know the world's like this. Come on, come on
1: to me, come to me.
0: And you know what they're going to find out there? Death. Death. It's not like maybe they'll find death. No, that's the only thing the world can give them. Death. It's run by a death king. And it breaks my heart. We need to ask God like this. Lord, are you listening? You listening to me like the old lady who came to the unjust judge? Lord, I'm not going nowhere. I need for you to listen to me because they're headed to hell. I'm not kidding you. That's the way we got to start praying. You know, these times are not jokes. I think we should all go to a funeral every day because it reminds me. This is serious stuff, serious stuff. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thank you, Lord God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your, for the grace of your spirit who awakens us to things that we don't naturally see. Thank you for the spirit that empowers us to do things that we cannot naturally do. Lord God, I know who we are. It's so clear who we are as humans. And Lord God, it is not an option. We need you. Lord, have mercy. Lord, of all the things that we can ask, the one thing we're absolutely certain when we ask of it, we can receive. It's mercy because it's littered throughout your words, scattered about generously. You desire to be merciful. And Lord God, we want that mercy. We want that mercy to ornament our lives. We want it everywhere in our lives, but we don't want to hoard it. We want it to go out generously throughout the world. Lord God, please have mercy on the young of this world. Lord God, are they lost? Yes. Are they without leadership? Yes. Do they have a shepherd? No. But you are their shepherd. You are the one who loved them and created them, Lord God. Should you not be the one to provide a movement within the generation to bring them to you, to save them from a pit? Desolation, emptiness, dead ends. Lord, God, we look to you. Lord, God, we look to you. Give us what we ask for. Lord, because I know that this prayer is prompted by you in me. And we pray this together as we listen to your word and we are transformed in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Sorry, uh, just uh, sometimes you you, you get full of what God has placed upon your heart. So this is a Psalm of David. This was one of the Psalms. No, no, this is the Psalm. It's the word of God that opened my eyes Uh, when I read it for the very first time with a friend of mine. I had been um, probably 30 days sober at the time, and I don't know if uh, I hope to God nobody here had an alcohol addiction the way I did, but I was uh, what you you call had a wet brain. Uh, I had used so much uh, alcohol and drugs in my life that my brain was, it was wet. It couldn't function without it. And uh, when I came off of it, um, man, my life was, whoa. I, I couldn't make heads or tails. I was up, down, I... Wanted to run away and literally uh, don't want to be ex- uh, uh, too too open about it, but I wanted to kill myself. I, I wanted to kill myself because I thought either I would kill myself or I would kill someone else. And uh, I would read the Bible when my wife would sleep because I for something like 14 days, I can remember I couldn't get maybe more than, a, than an hour of sleep, maybe two, three. And... Um, couldn't make heads or tails out of my wife's Bible. And I used to have it in my hand, and I'd go, how can I understand it? How can I understand it? But I know somehow I need what's in it. I knew it. And, um, you know, this was one day my friend uh, called me out of the clear blue sky at 8 o'clock, and he goes, man, I was just reading this. I want you to read this with me. And this is what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away from me all of my iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. I don't want to take too long because I really could break this down. And it's a, such an impactful, such a, a, a densely packed uh, a poem. It's a poem and a song. But he uses three words, transgressions, iniquities, and sins. The, the, the word transgression means he recognized I broke your law. Sin is different. He's saying, not only that I break your law, that doesn't make me really wrong. What really makes me wrong is that I'm a sinner. I sin. I break your law because I'm a sinner. This is who I am. And we would have a tendency to go, no, no, David, you're not. That's too shameful. And then he goes, no, no, Tom, really, I am. I have iniquities in my heart. I can see it. He goes, there's something deep inside of me that wants to rebel you that wants to push you away to keep you in a box in the back because i really don't want to let you out because i know you want to control me and i don't want it he said it there he is it's right in front of us he says for i know my transgressions and my sin are always before me and here it is right here listen against you and only you have i sinned well if you knew what he did oh, well, he didn't just sin against god He sinned against the entire nation. He had his friend murdered after he slept with his wife and gave her a baby and pretended it was his friend and then killed him to cover up the crime. David, you're reading this. David, no, no, no. You sinned against everybody here. But you know what he would have said to me? Yeah, Tom, you're you're 100% right, but, but the one who loved me most, I sinned on him greatest of all. And it broke his, absolutely broke his heart. And he says this, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you are judged. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inner parts. You teach me wisdom in my inmost place. And then he says this, oh God, please cleanse me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. If you wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones that you have crushed, because of this relationship that he had in his separation, in his denial of who he was and what he was doing, it was like God was pulling out of him any kind of strength for living. He was putting a good face on, he's smiling, and he's pretending like he's doing great. And everyone's like, man, isn't David great? But then when he would go back into the room all by himself, he'd be like, oh. he, and why? Was God punishing him? No. God was bringing him to the end of himself. He's like, fight me, David. Fight me with everything you got because I'm going to take it all. I'm going to take it all, and then I'm going to purge you. I'm going to make you clean like, like bleached wool. He says this, create in me, oh God, a pure heart. There it is right there. A renew in me a steadfast spirit. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Do you know what? David, as important as he is in the scheme of what God has done throughout history, he had the right to say, don't take your spirit from me. We don't ever have to pray that. Those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, the spirit is ours and ours is his. He is sealed in us because of what Christ did. We don't have to worry about, oh, God, don't take your spirit from me. He'll never take his spirit from us. That's a promise that the Father gave to the Son. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Granted me a willing spirit. Something that says, okay, God, you lead. Lord God, I believe you. I trust you. I I believe you're the one. I believe what you're telling me is good. Sustain me, Lord God. Why? Because David knew yeah, as much as I want to believe I can do this in my own strength, I can't. And then he says this, then, then, Lord God, I'll teach transgressions your way. I'll teach sinners to turn back to you. Save me from this blood guilt, O oh God. You're the one who saves. And my tongue, it'll sing of your righteousness. All I could think of yesterday at the end of that funeral was, I got to brag about God to people who don't know him. You know, we look at witnessing as such a scary thing. It's because we're looking at it wrong. I get to tell someone about some, someone in my life who is so absolutely wonderful. Man, why would I ever not want to speak about him? Man, we could do that in our own lives. Yesterday, I ate Wingstop with my kids. And you know who bought it? My daughter. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, you bought dinner? My heart was overfilled. And all I could say was, man, you're so good. So good. Once again, washing my feet, washing my feet. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not, for you do not, listen to this, you do not delight in sacrifices or I bring it. So if you've come here to sacrifice unto the Lord, stop it. He's the one who sacrifices, who brings us in. The thing that he wants is this. You do not pl- take pleasure in burnt offerings. Sacrifices, God, you, uh, that you desire are a broken spirit, something that says, hey, listen, Lord God, I know who I am. And as I look at you, I know who you are. And I can come to the conclusion, I need you. If all the things that you could give me, Give me you is the greatest gift. He goes, oh, God, you do not, do not despise these things. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and there will be a righteous sacrifice there. Whole burnt offerings will be given to you, and you will delight in them. When bulls will be offered at your altar. He's using symbolic uh, 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 Language right there. not And once again, I'm not here to cause a debate, but I do not believe there's another need for a temple. Everybody says, well, Jesus is coming back when he builds the temple. For what? What's the temple for? The sacrifices have already been made. Now, the temple is our life. It's our hearts. He enthrones himself in our hearts. And Now I live in such a way as to say, hey, Lord God, I'm going to give you what you want. You're going to lead me to give you the prime cuts, not the leftovers of my life. That's what he means by bulls. I'm going to give you the prime cuts. I'm going to give you the meat of what I have. Because you know what? At the end, it's only what you've given me. Man, this is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And it really gives us the understanding of purity of heart. Jesus said in the sixth beautiful attitude, "Blessed are the poor in heart, the uh, pure in heart, for they shall see God." There's a promise that attaches to that. First of all, that blessing means that your life will be ornamented. It will be fruitful. It will be beautiful. You'll look at it and you'll be like, "Man, I just can't believe how great my life is because of." Man, why is your life going in this direction? Why is it so? Uh, it's so attractive as I look at it. You can clearly say. Man, I know it sounds like a cliche, but I am truly blessed. Blessed by what? Blessed by God's commitment to me. And because he's committed to me, all this other stuff, it's just kind of like the residual. He just throws it on there. It's like the ash of it all. When I was a kid, my mother uh, was a lover of old movies. And if you remember correctly, there wasn't 99,000 channels when we were a kid. There were nine and sometimes, if you had a good TV, you had Channel 32. And uh, on Channel 9, there used to be this show called Family Classics. And, uh, and, and right around spring, they have all these religious movies. And my mother loved those religious movies. And one of the s- movies that she loved more than anyone else was a movie called The Song of Bernadette. The premise of the movie was of this young girl. It was a real-life girl, but it was Hollywoodized, Okay. Uh, And she was, from a young age, so wholesome. She was so wholesome. She was so devoted. She was so pure that God would shine his glory upon her because she was holy. Like every time they would show her, they would show her in these places where she'd be like kneeling down by the rocks, and it would be dark everywhere, and God would shine on her because she was so attractive to him. That's That's what it conveyed. And, you know, as I listen to, uh, and uh, once again, I'm, I'm not here to cause fights, but that's what the Catholic priest who was at that week preached right from the pulpit. Right from the pulpit. Work harder. God will shine on you. Okay. You know, <laughs> it's a funny thing. It works right in line with what I really want to believe. The movie was written from the idea that God blesses us if we deserve it. But as I look at the Bible, as I read the Bible, as my mind has been opened, my eyes can see, it seems pretty clear to me that the blessing of God is his commitment to us. And it's his commitment to us that causes the blessing of purity. It's not the other way around. If I'm pure, he'll bless. No, he blesses, commits, and then purity comes from it. Once again, you can't get from purity. I'm sorry. You cannot get flowers from a from, uh, uh, soil that has no seed. There must be a seed. Someone had to come along, open up the ground, put the seed in, and fertilize and cultivate that for the flower to come up. Doesn't that make sense? But somehow we feel that within us, we have this ability to grow flowers. The truth of the matter is the gospel tells us something different. David got it. He's like, Yeah, I'm looking at the soil of my life, and it's kind of corrupted. I think that there's a lot of things in here that would cause nothing to grow. As a matter of fact, the only thing that grows in my heart are weeds. Wait a minute, but I thought we were basically good. No, 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 quite the opposite. I was born to be a rebel. I was born to resist. From the minute I start Understand, from the minute I start to make decisions I, I choose to make life about me that's what I do and you know what in spite of all this in spite of all these things God looks down upon us that he has created and he says I want you to be mine I want you to be mine let's keep going forward because there's so much to learn here Purity needs to be defined. I realized, um, because in my mind, it seems when I think of purity, it tells me that I need to be without corruption or flaw. Doesn't it seem like that? If you're like, plus, or those are a pure heart. You never make a mistake. You're perfect. There's nothing to defile you." If that's true, we're in big trouble. Even as Christians, guess what? That's just not a possibility. And and I know that this is something that we. It's like one of those touchy things because. Um, We don't want our imperfection to cause us to be okay with imperfection, if that makes sense. Uh, Just because we're flawed and we're never going to be perfect doesn't mean that I have a license to continue on, right? If I truly have the Holy Spirit inside of me, if I truly live in communion with God, he wants something in me so greatly and so powerfully that it then turns my heart to desire what he wants. So I realize that there's this fight within me just like Paul said, I want to do what God wants, but I also know that there's something deep within me that even if I get a good thing in my hand, there's always the potential for me to twist it around and screw it up. That's what he says. In, in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 6, he talks about this battle. In James chapter 3 verse 2, James talks about it. We sin in many ways. He goes, everyone sins. But he goes, if you work on your mouth, oh, man, that's the best thing you could do. Oh, I could give testimony to that one. Yeah. Here's what Job says in three, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, when he's being accused. Uh, and he's sitting alone after they say, well, you know, you've you gotten all these bad things because you kind of deserve it. And he's like, what? I really don't know what I did. But then he says this to God. He goes, even if I claim my own innocence, when I open my mouth, it will convict me. If I come before you, God, and go, why would you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this. Not me. Why would you judge me? I've done nothing wrong. The words themselves would be a lawyer to say lie. Lie right there. And that's a man of God. Here is another one in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. Although he's cynical at this point in his life, King Solomon, he says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. So it's pretty clear. That we have a problem with messing things up. Our humanity is prone to failure. But this, once again, doesn't give us the license to just continue to do it. It doesn't allow us to just keep living carelessly. Purity is something different than this. It's not simply me being without sin. It's something different. And here's what I believe it is. Purity is best understood as a single-minded purpose. It is Wavering conviction you want to be pure in spirit you want to be pure of heart have an unwavering conviction and we're going to talk about what that means we're going to flesh it out right here In the letter to the Philippians, Paul gives us a best description of it in one sentence. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I got saved, after I got saved, it was so miraculous, it was so overwhelming, literally like I got hit with a lightning bolt, that I could see and understand things that I could never, ever, in my twisted mind, ever understand. And when I read that verse, I remember it was in a Bible study, I went, oh, And it was like, pow, it blew my mind. And it was like it burned itself on my brain. And you know what I thought to myself for the longest time? Man, I want that kind of faith. But you know what I realized now looking back? I was ignorant. I was admiring Paul. I was like, man, I just want to be like Paul. God surely loves Paul because Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No, no, no. Looking back 26 years later, this was a witnessing statement. He's like, hey, you want to know the real truth of my life is? God is so awesome. His grace is so overwhelming. For me to live, it's him. And you know what? Guess what? If I die, it's okay because I gain everything. This wasn't about Paul. This wasn't about him. This was about God. This was about Jesus. He's like, hey, listen, do you want to know the greatest thing of my life? Jesus. What do you mean Jesus? I want to know about you. You don't need to know about me. Let me not brag about me. There's nothing to brag about. Look at me. I'm flesh and blood. I'm failure. I'm a failure on my own. I'll take good things and twist it up. I'll tell you about the real thing that's good in me. The real treasure. And it's him. Him. He's the real treasure. Because he's so good, for me to live is him. And you know what? If I die here doing it, it's okay. Because I get it all. I get it all. Now we're starting to understand purity as God has given it to us in the beautiful attitudes. When Paul writes this verse, he is a very, at a very low point. It's easy to write something like this when things are going well. When you've got money in your a bank account, you've been working 80 hours a week or 40 hours a week, you've got a good car, you've got a wonderful place to live. But Paul wasn't in those places at that time. He's in jail. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's in jail. Not so easy to write that verse when you're in jail. Rome didn't treat people in jail as generously as we do today. The government of Rome felt if you were in jail, they didn't need to provide anything for you other than a place for you to be held. You know what that meant? No three meals for you. You literally, as you were waiting for trial, could starve to death. And that's where Paul was, waiting. How long? Uh, till we get to you. Could you give me any clue? No. What are you going to eat tonight, Paul? I, I don't know. What are you going to do tonight? Where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to use a blanket? I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't have anything. Mm. The government didn't feel they needed to provide anything for a person in jail. If Paul wanted to eat, he had to hope that God would provide through someone's generosity. And you know what Paul said? He did. God provided for his meals. Did he eat 3 meals a day? We don't know, but I doubt it. I doubt it. It just wasn't there was no grocery stores on the corner in Rome like there was there's in, in the United States. For people to bring things They had to travel distances. They had to come. They had to procure the stuff. It's it's not exactly like there was kitchens around there. Yes, there was places to go to eat, and I'm sure there was places to get supplies, but they weren't as readily available. So I'm sure that he ate every day, maybe once, maybe once every other day. But you know what, though? It was enough. He felt every meal that he ate somehow, it was sustaining him. Somehow, without all these things, these creature comforts, he could say and testify to you, you know what? God's given me more than enough. You know what? I think to myself, if Paul wanted to write a letter, he had to wait for God to direct someone to his location with the pen and paper to write it. He didn't even have the the ability to keep hygiene. No soap, no rags, no towel, no blanket. He had to wait for God to bring everything to him. And you know what he said? Yeah. For me to live... everything and what's even worse at this point in his life what's more depressing is that his enemies the enemies of paul personally and the gospel are using his place in jail to slander him to everyone who listens but you know all the reports kept coming back hey paul you know you won't believe what these people came back into the city and said about you and a lot of people are really listening to these guys you know what they would say how could God, if this Paul was really carrying the message of God, how and why would God allow him to be arrested? Come on, guys. Really, open your eyes. Clearly, this is evidence that Paul's a liar. God's got to be punishing this man because he's cheating you and he's lying about God. He's where he's at because he's a thief and a liar and you've got to stop listening to him. And all these reports are coming back into Paul. You know what I thought to myself? He was suffering demonic attacks. You know what the demons and they're real. They know how to get at you better than anyone else. They observe you. They don't know everything. They don't know everything. But I don't do. I know this. They know who we are. They've watched us for years. They know what we think, what we're inclined to. They know what our fears are because we show it to them every day. And you know what? They go at it. They go at it, and they go in, and they plant little words in your ears. No one likes you. You're on your own. You can't trust anybody. You've been hurt before. You know what? Man, these were demonic acts, and yet Paul could say in the midst of all those things, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I can imagine at various times throughout the watches of the night as Paul was sitting there cold in his, uh, in his little jail cell, he would hear those accusations in his mind. Have you ever been there where you hear the accusations in your mind at night? I have. Oh, I have. Yeah. You know, for the, first, for the first four years of me being on the night shift, man, that's all I did. Right around, I called it the bewitching hour. Right between 1 and 2, man, they'd come on me, and they wouldn't leave sometimes till 6 in the morning. And I'd have to praise my way through it. Praise my be up and down and up and down and up and down. God got me through it. God got me through it for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He saw all the reasons, the treasures of his life, everything that he valued, everything that he literally turned his back on. And I believe there were at times as he was sitting in jail, he had to ask himself, was it worth it? He lost everything. But he he wasn't just going in a good direction. He had it all, man. He was going to be a big shot. He came from a rich family, he had it all, and he turned his back because he met Jesus on the road, and I'm telling you, he thought at night, even though, I I think there's giveaways when you read the book, he says things because he's telling you the struggle that he's got in his own heart, he goes, man, I used to count these things as treasures, and he goes, now as I look at Christ, he goes, I count them all rubbish, I count them as garbage, you know why? Because I have this beautiful relationship with God. And you know what? Because I have this beautiful relationship with God that he's given me by what he's done and what he's accomplished and what he does in my life and how he holds on to me, not me holding on to him. Man, for me to live is him and to die is gain. Man, this is a beautiful understanding of what it is to be pure in heart. Peter understood the blessedness and the joys of purity. Last week in our men's group, and once again, our life group, let's call it life group. Like you said, Mario, if you're not going to a life group, you know what you're doing? You're falling down. You're falling down. You're missing. You're cheating yourself. This woman's group I hear is blowing it out of the water, man. They're coming together. They're praying with each other. They're supporting one another. You think you could do this on your own? Think again. Think again. Man, you are so Far away from what God wants in you. And you know what? Let me tell you something. When you get separated from that pack, the devil goes, oh, man, I'm going to work on that person. I'm going to work on them relentlessly day and night. You know what we need to do? Be in the pack. Is there reasons for me to not be there on Thursday? Oh, yeah. There's tons of them. There's tons of them. Yeah, I'm tired on Thursday. There's fuel in me, you know, just like you. And on Thursday, it's this low. And you know what? I don't want to be at 7 o'clock? In this basement. Guaranteed. But every time I go, it's like he's saying, you came here because you knew it was coming to go. Wait for the blessing. And man, I'm not kidding you. Ten minutes into it, bam, he hits me with it. And by the end, I'm up till 1130 at night. My brain is going. Why? Because it's blessedness to be loved. It's blessedness to be the focus of his attention and his concern and his care. It's not that I deserve it. No, it's in spite of it all. He uses guys like him and him and all the teachers and every uh, comment that's ever made in the group. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are these guys biblical scholars? No, but the same spirit who lives in me lives in them. The very spirit of God, it's like he's using these faulted, frail human beings to tell me about who he is and man it's just so beautiful so i know i'm sorry that was a testimony but but, so peter so peter says this in first peter we just were taught it in first peter chapter two verse one through three he says this therefore therefore what like What Paul said, therefore, you got to think about what he's saying, therefore. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember what's been done for you. Remember the Christ that did what he did. Remember the love of God. And when you remember the love of God, therefore. Therefore what? He tells us clearly. He says, get rid of. Rid yourself of all malice. Rid yourself of all. deceit, rid yourself of hypocrisy, rid yourself of envy, rid yourself of slander of every kind. (sighs) He says this, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your faith. Man, that's a beautiful thing. We're growing up from the minute we start to the minute we leave this world and go to the next. Never can I get to the point where I needed that then, but I don't need it now. No, as I keep going forward, I need it more at the end than I realized I needed it in the beginning. This is the beauty part of this grace that God has given us. This is the purity that comes from grace. The pure of heart means to be driven by joy. It's not guilt. So many times you come to church, you're like, I feel guilty. Stop. You know why? It don't produce what you think it does. No, no, no. It's more focused on you. Oh, I loved guilt when I was an addict. But did I change? No. I loved my sin. I just felt bad about it. So many people go to church and they feel bad about their sin, but they'll never admit they love their sin. So God's like, wow, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Because if you want the right thing, I'll give it to you. So don't be guilty. Be driven by joy. Be driven by gratitude because there's so many things to be grateful for. Be driven by holy desires. Man, that's scary because you know what we think when we think of holiness? Boring. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. You look at those people who are always holy and they look anemic. Man, get a little spice in your life. I tell you something, that ain't holy, that ain't holy, that ain't holy, you know what to be holy is, a desire to be wholly abandoned, not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-Y, I know something and I've never experienced it fully, when I'm fully separated from my flesh and he takes over all that void. Everything I've ever longed for will be mine forever. You know why I drank and did the things I did? Because I was longing to fill a void. I wanted to be loved. Strange, right? But weirdly, I couldn't accept the love that people were trying to show me all over the place. It was like it didn't do nothing. I wanted this thing, I wanted to feel fulfilled, I wanted to feel, I wanted to feel purpose, I wanted to feel value, and because I couldn't feel those things, you know how I tried to deal with it? (laughs) That's what I did. You know why? made me forget. made me feel better than I naturally am. But you know what, it was death, it was like I was drinking poison, I was snorting death. And you know what, in spite of all those things, where God could have looked at me and said, well, you wanted it, have it? Now he said, get that out of there. Get it out of there. Don't you know who you are? Don't you know who you are? Don't you know that I picked you? I chose you? I made you? You are supposed to look like me. I'm your soulmate. The thing you've been searching for, there, 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 there. It's me, me. I'm the one. Man, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be loved by God. And this is what it means to be of pure heart. The pure heart means to be determined to not let any root of corruption prosper in my life. Why? Just like Paul says, it wages war against my soul. All these things that promise me satisfaction, because that's what sin really does. All those little things, they promise you satisfaction. No satisfaction for you. It will never bring satisfaction. It is a false promise. God says, only I can give you satisfaction, folks. Only I can give you satisfaction. You think that stuff's going to do it, but really what it's going to do is it's going to get you addicted to it, and it's going to bring death. Jesus says, you can call yourself a Christian all you want. You can say whatever you want to say. You, make professors, you can worship me all week long. If you sow to your flesh, you will reap death. Come to church. Neglect your wife. Guess what? You're sowing death into your marriage. Be a hypocrite in your house. and You know what you do? You sow death into your children. (laughs) Do it. God says, I'm begging you not to. You'll go to heaven, but I assure you, you'll live a painful life on earth. That's the way it works. It's called an eternal principle. To be pure of heart means to be willing to expose not just my actions, but the root causes of my inconsistencies, the root causes of my idolatries. And you know what those are? Control. I'm afraid to let go. I'm afraid for God to let let God really run the show. You know why? Because deep down inside, maybe He takes me somewhere I don't want to go. Maybe He causes me to let go of things that I thought that I needed. You know what I thought I needed, and I I I know once again, I don't think it's just me. I thought I needed, and I still struggle with it. Enough money. Am I greedy? I don't think I'm greedy. But I'm telling you, greed ain't about money. It's about what we think money can do for us. And you know what I think to myself? I need so much money. And now you know what? God's taken it away. You know, we're in a serious recession. This country's going in a very, very crazy direction. We don't want to see it. We're not told about it. But there is a very distinct possibility that our country could be vastly different in the next 10 years. I'm talking vastly different. And all the things that we feel that we need, you, <laughs> I am not, I don't know. They could be snatched from us. But you know what, though? I know this. God knows us and knows what we need. And when he takes something from us, he's going to give us something better. Something better. Oh, I thought I needed it. How many times have you been at that place where you're like, I need this, I need this, I need this. And then God takes it away. And then a year later, you look back and you're like, you know, God, I really guess I didn't need it. You know, when I knew, I'm sorry, I'm giving up, so, I'm sorry, I'm talking so long. I remember when I, the minute I realized I had to stop drinking. And you know what I did? I went in the shower and I cried. Not because I was guilty, because I felt like I was giving up my best friend. I was like, okay, God, I'll stop doing it. I guess I'll be miserable my whole life. That's what I did. Banged my head on the shower. My wife's like, are you all right? I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm leaving my friend. I'll never be able to enjoy football or nothing. You know what? I have more fun now. And you know what I don't have? Hangovers. You know what I don't have? Thousands of dollars that miss from my pocket. I remember I lost a $1,500 bonus at Christmas because I was so drunk I left it on a cab seat. I worked hard that year for that. It don't happen no more. Now my wife's got the money. (laughs) She'll never let that happen. Are you kidding? You know what? And why do I let her take the money? Because I can't be trusted with it. I've proven it. But am I miserable? Oh, oh no, I laugh more than most people, I tell you. No, no. All right, let's keep going on. So what do we do? We must learn to confess multiple times throughout the day. Lord God, I'm angry. Like my friend Julian said, why are you angry, Tom? I don't know. Think about what you're looking for. What does that mean, Julian? I really wanted to say to him, I'm like, what does that got to do with anything? Well, you know what I did? I asked, what did I want? And you know what? When I asked and I prayed about it, God gave me the answer. And when I came up with the answer, somehow I realized what I was looking for really wasn't valuable. I wanted to be recognized by my job. And you know what? Who cares if my job recognizes me? I want Christ to recognize me. What I did wasn't for John Gavin. And I love the guy, the the superintendent of loop operations. I'm doing for Christ. And you know what? I think he was pretty pleased. I think he smiled. And you know what? That's enough. It's more than enough, I'll tell you. All right. When we pray, we must uh, not not be tempted to gloss over our divided hearts. We must see our sin and the root of sin for the cancer that it truly is. When we pray for deliverance, we must pray with confidence. Every day I say, Lord God, my hope comes from you. What's your hope, Tom? My hope is one day I will be fully void of me and you will be all there is that's left. I want what he is, fully and completely, totally. I can't wait for the day when I get to worship him in all of his fullness when there's nothing to separate me from me, when all those things that I know are not good no longer glitter, they no longer look attractive and smell nice. No, no, no. I can't wait till it's just me and him, and that's it. That's all I need because I know everything that I've ever longed for is waiting for me in that moment. I know it. I absolutely know it. Let's keep moving forward. We got five minutes. Five minutes. You know what that means, right? ten for me all right i'm gonna be be all right not only pray for your deliverance but pray for all of the brothers and sisters there's something about wanting this for other people that works double effective in our own heart if i want peace and freedom for you somehow god gives it to me in abundance because i just don't know why but i i encourage you to do that this week Pray specific prayers of deliverance. Pray for you to have confidence and hope that he is going to complete and finish his work in you, that he's going to cleanse you, that he's going to make you pure, that he's going to take all those things from you, those inconsistencies, and then pray it for someone else you know. But here's the rub. For you to pray for someone else, you got to know someone else. You know why the church has no power? Because we sit 50 feet from other people. You know, it costs you. It costs you to be part of the fellowship. And you know what the cost is? Time. Let's stand up. <laughs> that was Jason telling us we got it. <laughs> I told him to do it. He's either that or I was going to give Mario the dark gun to throw me to sleep. <laughs> He's out of control get him get him i want you to do this this week you want to know a beautiful bible study tool you're gonna to be shocked it's called google google list who i am in christ list it and then print it out and every day look at it look at what he's done and you know what you will do you will realize that when you you'll realize that even though you might be in a hole right here, you're headed to a mountain that's absolutely glorious. You're, you're headed to a place that is infinitely greater than you could even hope to comprehend with this human mind. And that's, that's what we're Let's let's worship.
1: God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. And God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will love you, Lord.